Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast and excited today to feature a story from within Nebraska at Scotts Bluff High School. Uh, and I'm grateful to the principal there, Justin Shattuck, for joining us for today's episode as we're going to focus on the Career Academy Programming. That conversation is over a decade old in their district, and uh, it's work that they've been invested in for quite some time. And really excited to showcase this example because they have taken that idea of Career Academy programming and just lived it out, walked it in a way that has led to a really unique learning experience for students there. And so excited to share this with our listenership so that they can have the opportunity to know a little bit more about what's going on and maybe conceptualize that in their own local context. And so, Justin, thank you so much for joining us for the pod and sharing out uh, the story from Scott's Bluff. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Really excited to share our opportunities and um, what we've been able to create and everything we've been able to do at our school. Appreciate it. Well, yeah, and I'm looking forward to learning more. And so uh, for those that don't know you, Justin, we had a chance to chat before we started recording today. Uh, and you had mentioned that actually it was when you were an assistant principal that this story for this initiative got going. And so give us a little bit of your backstory as it leads up to the history of this work. Yeah, I think it dovetails back even prior to my assistant principal days. I graduated from Black Hill State. I had my business degree, business admin degree from there and had a job at a bank and quickly realized that was not uh, the future career that I wanted went back to school as a non-traditional student, got my teaching certificate, began teaching at a juvenile detention center, and then got a job here at Scottsbluff High School teaching business. Actually, I'm, I'm an alumni, so I was teaching with one of my former teachers, which was kind of fun, working in the DECA program, and then uh, I had the opportunity to step into an assistant principal role when one of our assistant principals left on a sabbatical to China. And with that, uh, turned into a full-time job. Wasn't sure if this was what I was supposed to be doing, but with that that three-month trial period, I really realized that I can make an impact on the educational system from that position. Turned into the assistant principal, and with my background in business and DECA, my superintendent really wanted me to focus on career and technical education and how it fits into the traditional high school setting which kind of involved, evolved into the Career Academy programming that, that we have set up today. Wow. And I know, and again, something we discussed a little bit before we started recording, but that that term, uh, Career Academy programming, calls to mind for most maybe something that they've seen before at a conference or potentially something that they have implemented in their local context. But like anything, once you get started with the work, those efforts evolve and there's nuance to that and that plays out unique to the leadership and also to the context. And so maybe give us a little bit more about from the time this started uh, at Scottsbluff High School, what was a little bit of that evolution? Yeah, absolutely. You hear that term quite a bit, career academy programming, and there is a thousand different varieties to look at. And that's kind of where this all started is what was career academy programming. So in about, I think it was 2012, we applied for a very large grant. And at that time, we had business partners, um, the community college, our superintendent, school district leaders at the table. And we created this grant. It was an innovation grant for the federal government. And in that conversation, we really learned that there 
was this major need in our community. And I think I think we're hearing more and more of that need about uh, workforce development, um, the shortage of skilled labor. And that was really on the rise, not only from the state level, but our local level as well. And so we had just real authentic conversations about what can education do to help our community as well as help our kids. And we got done with the grant. We didn't get the grant, but it was a, a huge eye-opener for all of us is like, how can we change this model? How can we do better? So with that, we decided, you know what, let's let's keep pushing this. And it was really a couple strong community partners, our local economic development and WNCC, our local community college. We took several tours to schools and saw the variety, the vast array of career academy programming. And some was wall to wall where it was, you know, you choose, you're going in this career academy and that's where you are the, the remainder of the day. Um, some of it was like an intermediate college where they go their junior, senior year to a different location and they just focus on one trade or one skill. So in looking at all those different programs, we had to step back and say, what would work for our community? We still believed in it. And after the conversations with students on our tours, it, it was just mind boggling hearing the student conversation about what they're doing, why they're excited about education. And we said, how can we build this into our school? So our step before we began programming is we were in the process of doing a school bond for rebuilding the high school. And we we're looking at it from let's go with the bond first and see if we get a new high school. Because if we rebuild, it was a remodel. If we remodel our high school, what would that look like with our career academy programming? And if we don't get the bond, how do we step back and use our existing school to accomplish this goal? When we did our community conversations for the bond promotion, the Career Academy component was front and center. So the community knew when they were voting, they were voting on not just a new building, but they were voting on different programming at the high school. So we went ahead and our bond passed, fortunately. And so we ended up going with the design bid build model, where which is not super common because most schools are going with, they hire the, the general contractor and, and they design within the budget given. We actually sat down with a local engineer and the local engineer, Baker and Associates, they actually designed the school with us being a, a very involved part of every aspect of the school. So it was a really fun process because we got to take elements from all these different tours and build a school from all these different elements that we thought were really cool from all these other tours that we had taken. So after the build, our superintendent actually sent me to WNCC, our local community college, to work with our retired counselor who was then positioned as a dual credit counselor up at the college. So she and I, Julie Newman was her name, we sat down and we just started plugging away on paper. What, what does this look like? So it was a lot of back and forth at that time. I worked really closely with our assistant principal, who is now our superintendent, Andrew Dick. And we sat and we talked. We would go back and forth with staff. We'd go back and forth with scheduling. Will this work? Will this not work? Will this work? So all fall was kind of the design part of it. And then all spring was let's implement it and let's pilot it the next fall. 
in that process, we, we decided we still need to provide opportunities for students to have a traditional high school experience. We value our physical education. We value our fine arts. We value our athletics and all of our programs and clubs and activities. So we want students to have that opportunity, but we also want students to have a commitment and a focus on at least one or two career academies during, during their high school experience. So when they graduate, they either can say, this is really what I know I want to do, and they can take that further, or they can say, I took these two, and I'm really not interested in science, so health science probably isn't the route for me. That was a question I was going to have for you, actually, was to what degree these different academies were something that students had to apply for or something that was the expectation that every student gets to dabble with a little bit. And so was that a decision that had to be made early on with regards to capacity within those those respective academies? Yes. Yeah, so like when we started designing, it was more of a scheduling component than anything. We were actually going to just build programs as a study. And then our superintendent came in and he goes, I really would like to see our students cohorted with their career academy. So that was like, that was a puzzle in and of itself to kind of figure out. So what we did was, and I'll just explain the model because I think that that will give a frame of reference. So freshman year, students come in and we had a board really supported this, this movement. So uh, freshman year, our students will come in and they are required to take at least five credits of an introductory course. So we have six different career academies. And within those six different career academies, there's introductory courses such as intro to business, intro to health science, intro to ag, food and natural resources. Sophomore year, we encourage them to take another introductory course. So like freshman, sophomore year is exploration. Explore these different career options, explore a career academy that you think might be a fit for you. And then junior year, you actually make that decision of which career academy you're going into. And the application process is through the counseling department and their educational plan. So their junior year, They'll go ahead and decide in that career academy. And the career academy is, is essentially three courses housed within the, the schedule of the day. And we paired up three courses that we really felt aligned to that career or area of study. So to give you an example, in health sciences, a kid will take a Project Lead the Way med intervention course. They'll take anatomy and physiology as their science. And then they'll take a psychology as their social studies. And then in business, they'll take accounting, they'll take marketing and management, and then they'll take an English class because business relates so closely to communications. And we call that our foundation, like a foundation career academy is their junior year. Their senior year, they can choose a different foundation. They can say, oh, you know, I tried business, that wasn't for me, or I tried health science, that wasn't for me. And I wanna try education, or I wanna try ag. And they can actually move to a different foundation. Or if a student says, I want to keep going on this, this is really where we start relying upon our community college, our dual credit opportunities, our, our business partners, and they can specialize in that career academy. So their senior year, if that student is vested in that career, they can start their bachelor's program or their associate's program in that chosen field. And they have internship opportunities that they can take. They do a lot of hands-on practical type work. They are doing a lot of projects within our school. This is where we start trying to connect those dots between industry, post-secondary, and that high school transition. 
One of the things I love there is that opportunity to, between junior and senior year, pivot and find another place. Because you're right, the early exposure is so important. In my perception, at least, if those opportunities weren't made available to those juniors as they're turning into seniors or the learning opportunity as a junior was not available, then they would be going off to university potentially and paying for a year of kind of your basic courses. And it might be their sophomore year of college before they realize this isn't really the profession for me. And now you've got two years worth of college expenses, right? The the student loans potentially that you're going to have to walk back and almost start over and the time lost. And so uh, I not only appreciate what this is doing with regards to uh, helping students lean into careers that they are interested in. And maybe they get that first exposure as a junior and it is what they grow into a 40-year profession in. But can't overstate the importance of finding out what roads you don't want to walk too. And I'm glad that you pointed that out. Absolutely. And it's it's really interesting because when we did this, we kind of figured out that we could reduce an FTE on our staff. And with that reduction, reduction in the FTE, we could actually pay for all those students to take those dual credit courses. So our school pays for those dual credit courses as long as they're aligned to those career academy classes. And you take one teacher out of staff that can teach one subject area, and you supplement that with dual credit opportunities that expand across maybe 50 different pathways, 50 different programs. So that was another piece of it that kind of fell into places we were planning and we just keep expanding because there are so many jobs are always changing and we just hear from students like they can't believe the amount of opportunities once they graduate uh, just going through the programs. And speaking of expanding, I guess, too, I think of the six career academies that you have, we made reference to three and correct me if I'm wrong with this list, but ag, business, and the health sciences. Uh, what are the other th- three academies, just so we make sure we touch upon the breadth of avenues that students at Scotts Bluff High School have? Yeah, so we follow the state model from Nebraska Department of Education. We work really closely with them, but uh, we follow communication, arts, and technology, human sciences, and education, and then skilled and technical science would be the other three. Okay. And as... A former classroom teacher myself, I would imagine that if I found myself as a an English teacher teaching the business courses you mentioned, that was an example that you gave a few moments ago, is the expectation then to subtly shift the assignments to some degree or, or the examples in other cases, if you're doing some kind of scenario-based learning uh, to fit within that particular academy's focus, right? No, I, like all of a sudden I want to shift my ELA focus to business. That's great. Uh, what's the onboarding for that? Yeah. I'm sure right. there's professional That's learning great. that has to go into that. So we we originally planned that. That was our original intention. And we and we we tried it for about two to three years. And it was a struggle, not just from our teachers' side, but also from the student side to find that connection. So what we've done is we design classes that tailor into that area. So like for business and skilled and technical sciences, like now we have a technical literature course and we have a workplace writing course. So those tie into those different career academies. Some are just a natural fit, like anatomy and physiology and health science or general biology and health science. But when we tried to make integrated 
courses where the standards were integrated and it was tailored. There was so much tailoring being done that teachers really struggled with, with the concept. So we just moved to like an all class look at things like statistics. Statistics falls into to business. It falls into health sciences. So sometimes our teachers come to us and they say, why is this not in a career academy? Why is this not a career academy option? And we're very open to evolving and making our program better. So when we have those conversations, they're really genuine, good conversations. And if it's warranted and we see it, then yeah, absolutely. We go ahead and change the model. We shift. And is it fair to say then good instruction is good instruction and that some of the things that are within the typical core of any K-12 experience are there because they do feed in. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, those workplace skills that are, that are necessary. And so, you know, sense in reinventing the wheel and what we're doing is already serving that purpose. Absolutely. Good teaching is good teaching. Yeah. What would you say then were, are some of the successes? Because I'm sure as you... Uh, along the way are implementing this or some things that you're like, oh, this is really working. And you can, you might have some markers that you could point to that were indications that you were headed in the right direction. I, I can, I can talk about numerous successes. And and when we get our feedback, like we do a post-secondary feedback, and one of the biggest things we hear is, and even when we ask students like, when are royalty candidates or whatever, What's your favorite part about Scottsbluff High School? They say, I love our love the career academies. I love the opportunities career academies provide. And I kind of want to jump back to the why that we did mm. this. When I was in school and what I saw was when we first started, three of our biggest programs were FCCLA, DECA, and FFA. And what I saw was when students became involved in the school outside of the general classroom, whether that be athletics, whether that be show choir, whether that be a club or organization, all of a sudden you saw this maturity with the student. You saw this investment with the student where they really bought in to the educational process, like seeing the reason why, the meaning behind, why am I learning the stuff I'm learning? And I just thought with, we had a local hospital, we have a lot of manufacturing here in Scottsbluff, in the county, in the panhandle. With those opportunities, I thought, why are we not reaching out and creating more opportunities for students? If this worked, wouldn't it work if we built a HOSA program? Wouldn't it work if we built a Skills USA program? And that's really where a lot of this programming came from is how do we get kids to buy in to education more? How do we get them to see the big picture? So like successes, and I will talk, I'll talk on a personal level because I had a student I had my own student go through the model as we built it. She was one of the first ones to go through the model. And then I'll I'll jump back to some other examples. But she was interested in health science and she went through the whole health science track. She took anatomy and physiology at the college. She got her med aid certification, her BNA certification. She knew she wanted to go into medical studies through the HOSA program. She was able to job shadow a surgeon in Colorado. She was able to go to nationals on on three different events. And now she's going to college and she is interning at a medical missions organization and she is studying pre-med there and continues all these opportunities. But she regularly reflects upon her experiences at the high school and how much she learned and how much background information she has when she's introduced to concepts at the college level. 
And she constantly says, you know, where some students are struggling with these concepts because they're being introduced for the first time to these students, I really feel like I've got the foundation so I can I can build upon what I already know. So I'm not completely lost in the weeds when I'm taking an or organic chem class. <laughs> so from personal experience, I, I, I couldn't say enough about it, but from seeing other students, we've had students that come from impoverished backgrounds. And I think we have close to 10 students working at one of our local business partners. They're making 20 to $30 an hour working as welders, painters, um, various just different jobs. And this company, Olic Industries, they are a truck bed manufacturer. So they partnered with us right out of the gate and really started our internship program. But we have students being employed by them every year. And we started a cosmetology program and we licensed four students this year with a cosmetology license and two of them are going straight to the workforce. Um, almost always I see some of our graduates out during the summer, they're back home and I, it seems like they just graduated I, and I asked what they're doing. They said they're graduating from college. And I said, well, how, didn't you just graduate a few years ago or a couple of years ago? And they said, yeah, with the 36 credit hours, I was able to transfer over to college. I only had to take three years of college and get my bachelor's degree. So we have a lot of students that that just puts them in the right step towards success on what they want to do as a career. So I love hearing the success stories because it is great to see your why lived out, right? In the lives of students. And, and it's fun to hear too, that not only under your own roof, <laughs> but that uh, obviously, as her friends come back, or just again, as you mentioned, other former students, and and what you mentioned there, particularly in the case of your daughter, when you're talking about that she had that foundation, uh, I think that foundation. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. Like it's kind of two parts. That one, you get to content earlier, but then with that comes, especially with career academies, the context within which to process that. Right. This isn't something I'm just remembering for a. A multiple choice test tomorrow uh, without um, and good teaching will always place it in context. But when you're pairing that with some of these other more unique opportunities to, as you said, at the senior level, for example, experience what that's like as it relates to the workplace or learn about it in that collegiate environment, you know, where you're maybe getting some sort of dual credit. Uh, I got to think that those concepts probably take hold a little more concretely than they would maybe out of that context. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And while you're saying that, I'm just kind of smiling because I see students go so much further with their high school experience than I used to see prior to the programming. And it's the why, you know, that critical thinking component, students are really willing to dig down deep. They're willing to challenge themselves and go deeper into problem solving and and figuring things out when they know this is the end result. This is why I'm doing this. Oh, and this plays into another point that I took note that I wanted to bring up is that I'm okay, I'm gonna give you an example of something I know to be true. And a curiosity is it does that same thinking apply to what we're talking about here. Um I at one point in time, this won't make sense, but it will. I'll come around to it. I at one point in time left one district and went to another one. And my first year teaching there was a little bit difficult because no one had any idea kind of who I was, what I was about. There's no like word on the street sort of um, 
conversation about what to expect from being in Mr. Easton's classroom, for example. Uh, and so I wonder then, is the same thing true of this program that as it now has become iterative, right, where you've gotten a chance, students have gone through that if I am a sophomore, for example, and I have an older sibling, or my older sibling has a friend who was interested in a career that I am also interested in, and I now see them out getting a chance to live that out or hear their testimonial from their experience through and how great that was. And, and you get that sort of positive reinforcement from those that have gone before you down that track. Uh, you, I, you wouldn't necessarily call it a mentorship, but there is some momentum that's built off of that, I would imagine, right? And so that's um, a weird way to frame a question maybe, but have you seen that to be true too uh, as this has become uh, instantiated? Very much so. Our alumni comes back quite a bit to our schools and and hats off to, I mean, our staff is everything. Our staff is just so bought into our students and the process. And you talk about our CSOs and our sponsors, whether that be Math Club or HOSA or DECA, our students come in and I mean, they've got ties and they come in and they, they talk with our students, they provide presentations. I know we do like pro start and one of our, one of our students is a chef now and he comes back and regularly helps with competitions and he does guest teaching. So yeah, it, it definitely builds that reputation and students see like, oh, this was a student only three, four years ago. And now they're back and talking about their success story. Yeah. And that is a success that right. in of itself, right? It's just so right. great. And so I, uh, yeah, would maybe use that then as an opportunity to say off of that momentum and those successes and certainly more, uh, what would you say is uh, kind of your vision for continuing to evolve these programs? So right now we're really working with WNCC and our business partners to expand on our vocational trades. So we do construction trades through our skill and technical science area and I'll step back for a second. Within each of our six career academies, there's generally four pathways of study. So like if you talk about skilled and technical sciences, there's a lot of different areas you can go. You go HVAC, you can go construction, general construction, framing, drywall, all different opportunities. And if you talk about health science, you have nursing, you have doctors, you have phlebotomy, you know, there's, there's just a, a million different opportunities. So there's four different pathways within each one of our career academies. So what we're really focusing on right now, because we're seeing a huge shortage and we're hearing a cry from our community is this vocational readiness, these skilled workers that can come out of high school, prepared to work, prepared to take those entry-level positions uh, and quickly move up the ranks. So we can't provide classes for electrical. Like we couldn't provide a single class for electrical and it's just because it's so resource rich. So if we were to do an electrical class, we'd have three kids that are interested in being electricians and that would consume one teacher for you know an hour and a half. And that's just not a good use of taxpayer dollars. So what we've done is we've worked with our local businesses and they have actually employed retired or part-time or people that have been in the field for a long time, they come in, they teach the class. We generally go to our business partners for the class or our kids travel to the business partners. They teach the class there. And then those kids learn those skills and we pay them uh, per diem or a stipend for them teaching that class. But then they get that first opportunity that senior year for those kids to be interns 
And then it's basically like a big, long interview process. But we're seeing, we started with diesel tech because we have a lot of diesel manufacturers in Scotts Bluff. And it wasn't just one person. It was probably three or four that came to us and said, what can we do with diesel technology? We cannot find diesel technicians. So we started with diesel tech and we actually, we started with one business partner and within half a year, we had five, six partners on board. So now these students go out, it is a semester long class and they rotate between these six different entities like John Deere, Olix, Caterpillar, and each one of these areas teach one set of skills, whether that be the electronics, whether it be the hydraulics, whether it be shop safety, but they have these different units that each one of these business partners teaches. And then that next year, they take among that, amongst that group, they decide this student is going to this entity for internship. This, this student is going to this business partner for internship. And then as a result, they either go right to employment or they're sent to like John Deere training in Eastern Nebraska, but they are employed by that employer. So it's been an incredible partnership, an incredible program. And we expanded to electrical this last year. And then I think in the spring, we're, we're expanding to HVAC and hope to continue to expand that where we basically build a skilled workforce, a pipeline of skilled employees. Wow. So many things to love about that, because I'm sure getting started was a bit of a challenge because it's hard to communicate what this is going to look like and how it's going to work. But then, as you mentioned, you get one group that's on board and all of a sudden they now have a I would think from a business standpoint a leg up on a pipeline to new employees and making sure that they're filling the positions that they need to be filled and I would imagine then competitors are like hey wait a minute <laughs> we'd love to you know get a chance to foster those relationships and and are willing to make those partnerships as well and and now it sounds like as you said so there's six uh, and then once you have those examples I'm sure then it becomes an easier effort to communicate to other businesses about what this could potentially look like because you just have more ways in which that looks and examples to point to. Uh, and so that's that's pretty exciting because I, I can't imagine that, that that probably then grows at the rate of businesses and opportunities in, in your local context. And that's also a really good point to bring up is just to say that this is an example of a school really acknowledging the needs of the community and that that reciprocity that, that comes between those two and how we go to serve our, our communities. Um, with all that being said, and in the interest a little bit of uh, time as we're nearing the end of our podcast today, uh, I'd imagine along the way there's been some challenges uh, as well. And so for folks that are listening in that are going, this sounds terrific. Thanks, Justin. You got me started already thinking a little bit about what we could potentially do to get uh, things off the ground. Sometimes knowing what some of those hurdles are or were uh, helps expedite the process for others. And so what would you impart to those that are maybe curious about uh, some of those bumps along the way that they might try to avoid? Um, yeah, you know, when we we built it, we knew we would have hurdles. And I remember sitting with our assistant principal, building a master schedule and kind of scratching our heads. And I we spent weeks going through just to see if it would work because you don't want to build a master schedule and then figure out it won't work because it's the time consumption of that. Uh, but what we found is that this is not mass production. It's not a one size fits all model. So you really have to keep the student at the front and center. And one of the things that we added to our career academy programming was the administration and the counseling department 
had the right to step in and alter that career academy plan if they felt it was in the best interest of the student. So to give you an example, we have an engineering pathway and we have a health science pathway. Well, this student was interested in biomedical engineering. Well, that fit within two different career academies. And this student was kind of our first trial of this, but we said, you know, we, we got to do what's right for the student. And we ended up blending those two different career academies and we kind of adjusted what the requirements were and the model that we built to cater to that student. And since that time, we've done, done it hundreds of times, but you really have to put the student at the front and center and not be trapped in your own mindset that it has to be this way for everyone. And given that grace that, that we provide and keeping students our priority and what their goal is, we've really had a lot of successes through that. That's so encouraging. Some of my personal beliefs about education are that it's great to create spaces for students. And then the more you're able to listen to them in those spaces of independence and be responsive to that, the better it ends up being in the service of all. And, and so that that is, I feel like, encapsulated exactly the message that you're sharing there is, uh, and but doing this from a systems level for like the entire program. And that's that's so exciting. And kudos to you all for being open. Because like you said, it would be tempting to say, nope, that's not how this works. And so uh, as I say every week, 30 minutes goes really fast. Uh, so Justin, um, if you would, can you give us a little bit of a parting message maybe uh, to put a bow on today's conversation? Sure, absolutely. When we decide to go this route, the, almost a conviction that as educators, we have this responsibility to create value in our in our diplomas. And we need to help our students connect the dots. They need to be able to see what is beyond the walls of the high school. And when we built this model, that really was a rationalization is how can we add value to our high school diploma and really help our students see what is beyond that senior year graduation? What opportunities lay out there and how can we prepare them the most to be successful the goals that they want to obtain. And I buy into this model. I've seen the successes. There's been failures along the way. There's been bumps, but I really genuinely think it is a nice blend between that traditional experience for students, as well as getting them to see the big picture, develop goals, and what's next for them. So they can lead successful lives and we can help our employers in the process by building a skilled workforce. Yes. Oh, Justin, I love every bit of that as a, a conviction and you're living it out there at Scottsbluff High School. And I just, I want to applaud you and, and everyone uh, involved in that effort for this work on behalf is clearly on behalf of students and their ability to transition into not only the workforce at large, but particularly within your local context. And that's, uh, that's also really important. I love being able to host the podcast because I find myself able to be in conversations with folks that I've not had a chance to visit with before. Uh, Justin and I got a chance to meet today. And I feel so inspired by knowing that there are so many great people out there doing amazing things in Nebraska uh, and being able to highlight those for others to also be inspired. And this will air over the summer. And so, you know, maybe as folks are getting a little bit of a brain break from being in the rhythms of service to students that, yeah, to just remember that they're not alone in the great things that they were doing. And hopefully they even consider ways to enhance it from our own examples within our borders here in the state. So thank you so much for sharing today and for all that you do in service uh, to students in Scottsbluff. 
Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity to share. And if people have questions, please reach out. We're happy to share what we've done. Excellent. And I'll make sure in the show notes to uh, to put a link to your school site uh, where they'll be able to find some contact information should they be interested in connecting around that. So Justin, thank you so much for your time and for your effort and advocacy uh, for your career academies. Andrew, thank you. Thanks for all you do. And thanks for putting these stories out there. I think it's important for people to hear. 